Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. Manufacturers have long known China to be a leader in their industry, but now the world is recognizing China as a business center for companies, market traders, education, and artists. It's no wonder that the economy has grown to be the world's second largest. In our program, you'll learn from the thought leaders and professionals who have lived in both the U.S. and China and continue to do business there. Now, here is your host, Michelle Zhou. Welcome, everyone. It's so great having you here today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I'm your host, Michelle. I'm the founder and CEO of Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. We help American and Chinese organizations learn from each other, bridge their needs, and grow their businesses internationally. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com, and I always welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn. Today, I invited Mr. J. Noel Cochiart to the show. He's the executive director of Washington State China Relations Council. In short, we call it WSCRC. We would like to discuss how companies can maintain business relationships with China during this kind of difficult times. And we also want to talk about what kind of impact that the current situation brings to the Washington State's local businesses and how WSCRC plays a critical role in helping companies in such kind of situations. So welcome to the show, Noor. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Noor, could you first start with a self-introduction to our audience and especially your connection with China? I know that's many, many years. Sure, I'd be glad to do that. I, as a student, I was able to hitchhike around the world twice when I was in my early 20s. And that experience, I was fascinated with Asia. I emigrated to Australia, I worked in Europe, but I really found Asia to be an area I was very interested in. So when I went back and did uh, further studies and graduate studies, I focused my work on Asia. And then uh, when I went to uh, find a real job, I went to big international companies, and I ended up in uh, with Cargill, which is the world's largest grain trader, big agribusiness company. So, and my intention was always to work in Asia. So, I, after five years in the U.S. learning the trade, I kind of put up my hand one day and said, "When can I go to Asia?" And fortunately, they were opening a new office in uh, South Korea. So, I went to South Korea in 1984, a long time ago, and then I spent. Uh, about 33 years in Asia, most of it with Cargill. I was first in Korea, then I moved to Japan, and then in 1998, I moved to Shanghai to basically expand the Cargill operations in China. Mm -hmm. So um, a very, very interesting time in Shanghai. Um, the operation grew from about 300 people to the time, by the time I left, about 5,000. I think we had three plants when I came in, and we had about 35, 40 by the time I left. So a great period. I, I got to experience the growth that China, that China had during that period. What were the years that you were in China with such kind of growth? Uh, well, I, was, I moved there in 98, and I officially left to come to Seattle in 16, but I continued through the end of 17, basically going back and forth. So I've just been out of China the last, say, two years. Yeah, so those are the years that China really, really experiencing this rapid growth. I think from the 90s until the mid yeah. 20s. Yeah. I, when, when I went there in 98, we just had the Asian financial crisis. So that slowed things down. I think in, people were very excited about China. We had the Asian financial crisis, a little bit of slowing on investment and enthusiasm. But around 2003, I could just see the place taking off. And actually, for my company, I invited the senior leadership, very top, to come over for oh, about 10 days in early 2004, and we convinced them that China was for real, and mm -hmm. it was time to make big investments. Unfortunately, the, the advice was listened to, and the company expanded quite rapidly. Yeah. Okay, so um, I was going to say, with Cargill, I ended up because, with, of course, in China, you have to know the government very well to really achieve anything. So yeah. um, I, though I was based in Shanghai, I was in Beijing frequently had very frequent interaction with like the head of MOFCOM, the agricultural ministry, the inspection bureau, et cetera. So government affairs was a big part of my job. So not only just interacting with the ministries, but also setting up what we call corporate social responsibility, which was fairly new in China. Very, very active. Also, uh, I was on the American Chamber of Commerce board for many, many years. And I served as the chairman of the Shanghai American Chamber of Commerce for a couple of years 
And at the time I was the chairman, it was reputed to be the largest American chamber in the world outside of the U.S. We had 3,000 plus members, so it was quite big. That was my experience up until about 2010. And then after 2010, um, I left Cargill and I had a very interesting period. I was the head of a NGO, a student organization that's worldwide, it's in 35 countries, but I was the head of China. And I was able to grow that nicely. We ended up having chapters on 300 universities in China. So we had probably the largest foreign presence of an NGO in China, and which also had me working very closely with the Chinese People's Friendship Association. And in 2014, we actually had our worldwide competition. So we brought in people from 40 plus countries to Beijing. We had 5,000 people for this event. And of course, anyone that's familiar with China knows we had to have sign off from six, seven ministries. It was quite a production, but also quite a learning experience of how to do things in China. And then also simultaneously, I had another gig that I did, which was running a, what we call a peer group forum for CEOs of multinational companies. And that was fascinating because at least once a month, if not more often, we would get together with the CEOs of Dow Chemical and uh, many Nike and very big companies and talk about what are the issues of doing business in China. And that was a, a private group, no press, so people could talk about what their issues were, what they were learning, etc. So it was very fascinating insight what companies were facing trying to do business in China. So and and with about the end of 2016, moved to Shanghai and then commuted for a while. I mean, sorry, moved to Seattle. And then I've been here now in Seattle, really living here since about 2000. So what made you move back after so many years in Asia and in China? Shanghai,、uh, I would say, was like your home. Yes. Actually, when I came to Seattle, I find it quite quiet, miss the bustle of, and the busyness of China. Actually, I blame it on my wife. She is a Chinese lady who has a background in banking, investment banking. And she said, I would like to try living in a foreign country. It's my、uh, turn now. <laughs> She's from Shanghai, right? She's from、uh, actually from Zhuji, which is in、uh, Zhejiang Province near Hangzhou. Uh huh. Right. right, and so she it was her turn to come, and she is younger and would like to try and see if she could have a career in America. So ah, so for so your wife? <laughs> yes, I can't take it for my wife. And I'm in, certainly enjoying life here, but it is much different than living in China. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting story about your background. Very international. I would say, you know, spending so many years in Asia and in China, you know, China quite a lot. And it was fun to see the differences between again Korea, Japan, and China. How the doing business in those countries was varied, and of course, China just took off in the mid two thousands, and it was fascinating to be there as it as it expanded. Well, that can be a very good topic for our next session. I would love to hear your comparison with、sure. through your、yeah. own experience of these different countries、right. doing businesses. Yeah.、Mm -hmm. Okay, we will save it for next time. Okay. <laughs> so now you are leading this organization, which is very known here locally. It's called the Washington State China Relations Council (WSCRC), and I have been a member of this organization for many years. I know the mission of WSCRC is to promote stronger. Commercial,、mm -hmm. educational, and cultural engagement with China, and it has a really long history. So, can you tell us about WSCRC's history and what it is doing today? Sure, sure, be glad to, and and thank you. You seem to understand our mission quite well. So, the history goes back really to when diplomatic relations were established between the U.S. and China. Deng Xiaoping came to Seattle in 1979, and I'd like to mention that. Every Chinese leader since 1979 has come to Seattle, which is very few, if any, cities in the U.S. can say that, with the exception of Washington D.C. And that also that year, the governor of Washington, Lee Ray, made a took a delegation to China. Also in 1979, the very first vessel, the very first ship to come to a U.S. port since 1949 from the People's Republic came to Seattle. So business and civic leaders. In Washington State, said, "Wow, we have a geographic advantage. We already have a beginning to establish relations with China. We should start an organization that can help kind of jumpstart this effort." So that's what happened in 1979. They started the organization, so it's now 41 years old. And the first leader was a guy called Dr. Bob Cap, 
who was at the University of Washington, a Chinese history and literature professor. And he, he was a very energetic guy and took lots of delegations to China, helped businesses understand. So the first 10, 15 years was really introducing people to China and also welcoming Chinese delegations here and getting to know Washington, what Seattle had to offer to China. It then kind of morphed, I would say, in the mid-90s more into businesses began to do big businesses, our Boeings and Microsofts of the world, began to do business in China. And then it was more about making sure that China had the most favored nation um, status, which uh, those some people may remember in the, uh, particularly in the late Clinton years, that was always a big issue, whether every year Congress had to approve most favored nations. So WCRC became involved in making sure that that uh, legislation was passed. Um, and then as we got the, even almost to the 2000s, then it was China's a session to the WTO, which was the big issue. And again, the WCRC was involved in a lot of those studies and a lot of that discussion. And then China did achieve a session to the WTO. And then after that, I would say in the mid 2000s, we were kind of helping companies figure out how to do business in China, helping Chinese come to see what Washington had to offer. And then we did have Hu Jintao, the leader of China, come to Seattle in 2006. And these Visits of Chinese leaders, Zhang Shimin was here in 1993. They always kind of create more enthusiasm, jumpstart interest in bilateral relations. So those were always good. And WCRC was always involved with those visits, uh, helped to plan those visits and helped to, uh, to introduce the leaders to the region. Now we jump ahead to Xi Jinping. And Xi Jinping uh, came in 2015. And that, again, uh, particularly for the organization, WCRC was a, another area where we got a lot of interest. We helped plan that visit. And we got a lot of companies interested in doing business. A lot of Chinese companies interested in investing into the Washington region, into the Pacific Northwest. And then we had a lot of companies that joined and became members because they saw Chinese buyers coming to buy homes, Chinese students beginning to come here, et cetera, who wanted to kind of get in on that. And WCRC is the organization that in many cases holds, as we say, holds companies' hands or holds individuals' hands helps them understand how to do business with China or helps actually Chinese entities uh, enter into this market. So particularly the 2015, 16, 17 were very, very active. And then that brings us to today, of course, where we had the trade war which started 2018 and now COVID-19 and that's leading to a very difficult period. The, the winds the winds aren't blowing in the right direction at this moment for the U.S.-China relationship. Yeah, so WSCRC on one side is really doing those big things like the country leaders visit, mm -hmm. you know, the relationship between the two countries and our right. Washington state with China, right? Right. And influencing the regulations, the policies making in DC. And on the other side, it also goes down to the to the very practical side, helping businesses, Correct. local businesses, and the Chinese companies coming here, help those kind of things happen. So that's an organization, really, I see it as a bridge between both sides, really helping two countries and the businesses happen. Wonderful. I think for today's topic, because we're going to talk about how to maintain business relationships with China during these difficult times. I think first we should define the difficult times. Yeah, let's think about, well, today the US and China, the politics and the business environment is dramatically different than a couple of years ago. It will be really helpful to help our audience understand the background of the current situation. I think uh, you have been on the very top of doing research and uh, really following the trends of what's going on. So can you help us uh, briefly summarize the current political tension between U.S. and China? Okay, so that's a pretty tall order, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. And you do need to go back and look at the historical context. So I would go back basically about when China came into the WTO. At that point in time, many U.S. politicians were basically arguing that if China comes in WTO, joins basically officially as part of the world trading system, that China will become more like America. The, the politicians felt that it would become a more open, maybe even a democratic society. That kind of was the basic premise that, that convinced the politicians to say, let's let China in WTO. And so then what happened is once China did enter the WTO, again, this was around 1999, 2000, a lot of U.S. companies moved their operations, particularly their manufacturing operations, to China, ended up hollowing out a big part of the U.S. manufacturing business. Automation actually, I think, took more jobs away, but moving to China actually, I mean, a lot of companies moved their operations and left 
people without jobs back in the U.S. That's what's going on the U.S. side. On the Chinese side, uh, Chinese leaders, as far as I'm concerned, they've never bought into the idea of, let's, of the Western liberal concept of, of government. That was not their idea. Their idea of joining WTO was basically to help in make their economy stronger, make, give jobs to people, to build up the country. So they were, I think, were very clever inviting different companies in who put their factories in there and transferred skills, etc. I want to mention here that China's did a really good job uh, inviting companies and then building the infrastructure, the ports, the roads, etc. Mm-hmm. that made trade easy. They also, it's a very structured workforce, very highly educated workforce. So it really was kind of a win-win, particularly for U.S. companies. So it was a great degree. I'd also note that while China was doing all this investment infrastructure that Eric Times and talked about, the U.S. unfortunately was basically fighting wars in the Middle East and not investing in those kind of assets in the U.S. So then what happens is Xi Jinping comes to power. And I, again, I was in China when he came to power, and he was a, quite a bit of an unknown. People didn't know whether he was going to open up the economy or he was going to tighten up, etc. And as we have we've now learned that he's been made China more assertive and let's say a little more aggressive on the world stage. The military's been built up. You know, projects like Belt and Road have been out. So China traditionally Deng Xiaoping's and bide your time to the former to these other leaders. I think Deng, or, uh, Xi Jinping was like, okay, we're we're pretty strong now. It's time to to start shaping the world our viewpoint. And basically, another thing I'd like to mention because it's not brought up all the time. All those U.S. politicians that took credit for globalization and the China joining WTO, etc., there really wasn't a policy in America to re-educate workers. So you ended up with a lot of workers in, let's say, Pennsylvania, Michigan, etc., without jobs and really no new opportunities for them. So the U.S., the, the biggest supporters through this whole period, I'd say up until the last three or four years, were U.S. companies. They moved to China. Initially, they got good workers, you know, much lower wages than the U.S. could export. And then the China opportunity, as we call it, China for China. U.S. companies have built uh, huge businesses. As you take an Apple, you take uh, McDonald's, take yeah. uh, Nike. They built huge businesses in China. So they've been very successful in China. So they were always promoting good relations, etc. You know, and so, but what's happened in the last three or four years is U.S. companies have kind of said, you know, this made for China 2025. Some of the other programs that are that the Chinese government has making it more difficult for these companies to succeed and they actually see that their Chinese competitors are getting much stronger so they're no longer supporting positive engagement with China like they used to. So now you have all the American players, I'd say many of the politicians, the human rights activists and now companies have a kind of somewhat negative viewpoint of China. So the the mood has shifted very much in the US and in the meantime China's gotten a little more aggressive its outward performance it's creating institutions, some of them that rival the Western institutions. It's not basically falling into line and saying, I support the, you know, all the World Bank and all these kinds of things. It's creating some of its own things. And this has made, of course, the people, the leaders in the U.S. nervous because the system that they set up after World War II is now being challenged. I would contend that China has a much better roadmap and a plan where they want to go. I don't know exactly what that is, but it seems like they want to follow the institutions they like and maybe create new ones more to their to their liking. And then in the U.S., what's happened is, well, and I, Donald Trump may be the example, because of what's happened, the hollowing out, et cetera, you have these populist movements, and now the U.S. is pulling back from kind of a global role, and China is somewhat filling vacuum. So to kind of conclude, now the talk is about decoupling. You know, Now that people are saying, oh, we made a big mistake letting China grow like this. They're, they're taking over leadership of the world, and we're not strong enough to do that anymore and we are on the verge of a new cold war it won't be like we had with soviet union because the china and the u.s are so closely intertwined but it's you can see right now on certain industries like the huawei issue medicine ppe etc there are some movements for countries to do their own thing not support globalization like they had in the past so it's a very some of the things being said today by leaders on both sides are very dangerous. I'm not comfortable at all with the state of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the situation is very intense today. But on the other side, you know, my personal opinion is
Right. Yeah. In the very beginning, as you represented some of those companies. <laughs> they did the right thing for their business because mm-hmm. China that's cheaper in the labor and you know yes. to make products at a lower cost. They are doing the right thing for them. Then when the competition, when China becomes stronger, costs are rising, and now they are a big competitor. The business feels nervous about it. But on the right. other side, I think a, a very important thing is.、Um, You know, for some business, they want to. They feel that China is a big threat to them, and they want to pull back. But for some other businesses, they are still thinking, "Well, I'm okay with the current situation." They, because they already invested so much in that part of the world in China, and it's hard for them to pull back everything immediately overnight. Actually, the FDI into China from the U.S. the last, I think, three months was equal to last year. So yeah, companies are still investing in China. Absolutely,、yeah. right. So the politics.、Uh, think about those、uh, people making the policies, making the regulation in DC. They are the ones being influenced by business, but they also have their thoughts of thinking from the higher level of two、mm-hmm. countries. The value system, I think, is very different. Yes, I would agree with you. You have basically two different quote, operating systems. Yeah, and how to make them kind of. Mesh or work together without creating conflict is difficult. And I don't go back. You said it, it was good for companies, and they did the right thing. But the politicians in the U.S. really create, as I say, training programs. They invest in the people that were put out of work, and that was a failure. I think. Right. Exactly. People lose job. The kind of job moved to overseas, to China, to other. Parts of the world, then those are the ones that be left behind, right, <laughs> yeah, with、right. no hope. That's yeah, right, the scary right, thing. Right, exactly. And, and a, a European government would have been more Australian. They have training for retraining programs, etc., to, to help those people find new jobs or even help new industries in those areas. But the U.S. Is, is this mantra of let the market decide, and、uh, the market <laughs> doesn't follow up on that way. So. Right. That also reflects something: the short-term and the long-term view.、Mm-hmm. Right. Even today, with the COVID nineteen, what we see the short-term view of how the government is leading people on direction, as well as the kind of actions the government is taking. You know, the short-term versus thinking about long-term. What's the bigger impact? Then,、right. how do we come together? Not just for the next couple of months, but for long-term for people, for the overall country's economy, and the country's political position in the world. Yeah, I, I'd be. I, I would find that to be a very fascinating conversation. We、uh, would probably not today, but yes,、yeah. you look at how different countries in the world are dealing with COVID nineteen. Where, particularly with their unemployment situations, the U.S. versus Europe or even China. So that's countries are doing it differently, and I would say some of them are doing better probably than the U.S. Yeah. All right. Now let's zoom back to more the things that are in our own control or <laughs> in our own environment.、Right. <laughs> Look at where we are living and what we can influence. We are in Washington State, and. You know, just、uh, according to all these statistics and from the basic knowledge I know, our state, Washington State, has really close relationship with China. As you mentioned, the Chinese leaders, every of them came into when they visited the U.S., they came to Seattle. Right. So, and Washington State's the number one trade partner is China.、Mm-hmm. Besides that, even the first confirmed COVID nineteen case was found in our state. Right. <laughs> Until now, right? We are still under quarantine to avoid a bigger spread of the coronavirus, and our governor is really careful in slowly opening up. We know the impact from the U.S.-China trade war and the political tension is pretty big to our state. So, can you help us just、uh, from the state standpoint get a big picture of the impact to Washington State? Sure. Yeah, I'd be I'd be glad to do that.、Um, as I mentioned in like the history of WCRC, around 2014, 15, 16, we saw a real those were the peak times of our trading with with China. In 2015, exports. Of just Washington products, I'm not talking about products that go through the port that come from some other state, but just things made in Washington or grown in Washington. Exports over 15 billion dollars, and three years later in 2018, they were still 14 and a half billion dollars. So 
pretty steady you know, 14, 15 billion dollars was the number. But it turns out, and, and that, that was exports, and if you talk about total trade, import and exports, China represented about 30% of the international trade in Washington state. But by 2019, and again, this was mostly the trade war, uh, exports had decreased by two thirds. They were down to something like four and a half million dollars from 14 million dollars. So a horrendous, horrendous drop. Now, admittedly, the biggest export from the state is aircraft. and makes up probably 80, 70 to 80% of the exports from, from Washington state. Yeah, and that's Boeing, right? Boeing, yeah. yeah, and Boeing has not sold an airplane to China since the end of 2017. Now we're talking two and a half years, they haven't sold a plane. They still delivered some, but then of course with the 737 MAX problem, they haven't mm-hmm. been able to deliver those. So it's only been the other, other models that they've been delivering. So that, that's been just a real, really hurt the state. The other thing that I like to point out is a lot of some things that are, are exported through Washington aren't made in the state, but they're exported through our ports. So our ports are, are some of the you know, our major exporters and importers for that matter. And so of those we, in Washington state, we have about 100,000 people that work either in the port, you know, whether it's tugboats or longshoremen, and then the truck drivers that bring the containers in and out of the port. There's about 100,000 people throughout you know, all the ports in the state that work in that logistics kind of sector. And so when the business goes down, just this morning, I think the uh, Seattle Times reported container traffic is down 25% or something over the last three or four months. When that goes down, then those people's jobs disappear or they get laid off. So it's the, the trade with China is very, very important. Other things that people don't think about, um, Chinese students. Chinese students spend about $400 million on whether it's tuition, food, books, whatever, rent, 2018. That's a very big contribution to our local economy. We have service firms. Actually, uh, I'm surprised at the number of architects I've met here in Seattle who say, oh, yeah, I've designed buildings in China. Um, a number of the, many of the architectural firms here have done businesses. Somebody did one, they've done them for Alibaba. So um, big projects in China. Software firms, lots of software royalties, software products sold to China. Also law firms, big law firms here. If they don't have an office in China, they're, they're doing business in China. And then there's Chinese investment in, uh, again, that 15, 16, 7 period, we saw about more than a billion dollars of Chinese investments. Pharmaceuticals, commercial real estate, aerospace, we saw a lot of investment. And then, of course, those of us that live here may see it more closely, the Chinese residential investment. Again, the east side of town in in Seattle, a lot of um, people coming in from China to buy houses. So that was good for the state. Unfortunately, most of that has uh, slowed down. So you can yeah. see how closely aligned the state is with China and how important trade with China is uh, to our state. Yeah, and even on a personal level, because uh, our company doing business, uh, consulting business for companies in the U.S. or China, help them to grow in the other side of the ocean. Right. Our business is like uh, going really down to almost uh, no activities these days uh, for that uh, cross-border business. Yeah, so, so when, Jinping, or sorry, when Xi Jinping came in 2015, we had a, a lot of China, Huawei, Hainan Air, ZTE, we had a lot of Chinese companies join our organization and be get actively involved, and almost all of them are gone now. Yeah, so that's been a really sad to see. Well, thanks for painting this picture for us so we know what's going on in our local area. Uh, before we move on to what WSCRC is doing to help our local government and the business. I want to take a very brief break and we will be back for that. Okay, great. China is now the second largest economy in the world. There are hundreds of opportunities for worldwide business professionals to start looking in China. From business leaders to manufacturers to artists and students, you need to discover these opportunities to grow your business and your career. Listen every week for In China with Michelle Zhou, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For business sake, you need to tune in. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. Before we took the break, we talked about the big pictures. We also got a view of what WSCRC, the organization, is in the history as well as the general mission of the organization. Now, let's really zoom into what WSCRC is doing today in helping our local government as well as the business here. Not just helping the business in Washington State, I think uh, just based on the role that WSCRC is playing as the bridge, we are also helping the China counterparts. So from here, Nor, I would love to hear you give us a brief on what are the things we're doing, the great jobs we're doing today. Sure. No, I'd be glad to. I think I want to start with saying that what's really important in today's environment is to have an open and objective dialogue about the U.S.-China relationship. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that people understand what we just talked about, the importance of trade with China and the fact that you know, Chinese are in, have invested out and come to move here and they find it a great place to live. So we're trying to make sure that people have a rational outlook and they don't get caught up in the kind of the populist discussions and you know, the stuff coming out of Washington, D.C. That, that demonizes China. So that's a big part of what I, I want to do what we need to do in the future. And one way to do that is get, you know, objective stories out there. So um, I have been actually every six, eight weeks cranking off an article that I've tried to get into the local newspaper or on the websites, et cetera, that talk about how U.S. and China are working together to solve problems, how the, how the state is uh, work, how the state is dependent on China. Uh, I just wrote an article that I quite like about the work of the Chinese community in the basically greater Seattle area. And what they saw COVID-19 coming a lot sooner than most people, because again, they had friends and relatives in China that had warned them about it. And so there's a lot of good things that the Chinese community did. And so I wrote an article about that. But we're trying to get the word out as much as I can to the general public. We act as a, a guide and a consultant to businesses and government, but particularly um, in the last couple of years, probably even more so for government. When they get requests from China for trade missions or other issues, they, they come to us and say, you know, they're very often, what do you think? What is this organization? How should we respond? There, and I'll talk about a little bit later, there's been donations of PPE from some of the cities that have relationships with Seattle recently. And so when those, um, that relationships, when those talks start, uh, we, we're always brought in to help and advise in that. Of course, not this year, but in the past, there's been travel to China by government officials, and we've actually led some of those trips, or we've done behind the scenes, set up a lot of logistics and help people, people make the connection. So the government quietly, the city and the state, work with us very closely. We used to do that a lot more for companies, but the bigger companies, you know, the Microsofts, the Boeings, the Starbucks, the Packards, they all have offices now in China, so they do not rely on us so much as they did in you know, 20 years ago to help them with China. What they do like is when we bring experts in, either from China or maybe from D.C., think tank people, whatever, to come and have discussions with them, to get viewpoints that they might not get on their own. So that's kind of the value we bring to the, the larger companies. The smaller companies, of course, we can connect them, uh, kind of like you do in your business. We can at least make the initial introduction for companies. We're not business consultants, so we don't carry out an official project, but we'll make connections. Um, and say so these are companies that, that you should meet with, or here's government officials coming from China, and it'd be worthwhile for you to meet. So we do a lot of, of that connecting. And it's not just for companies in China, but we do it for Chinese, many cases of Chinese local governments. So the city of Hangzhou, Shenzhen, uh, you know, different uh, trade missions that would come. We would, they very often were their first point of contact. Want to know who to talk to in Washington State, how to set up meetings, etc. They'll come to us first. And then the education component, we run a lot of programs, education. And the education is very often, right now we're talking about things like the phase one trade agreement. How well is it going? What is happening? You know, what, what's being bought? What's not being bought? What's, what's training? Started? So we'll give these talks. And that, like I spoke to you earlier, just so people understand how important it is that they understand what China, the China means to Washington State. We do that actually for um, congressional staff. We, about once a quarter, we'll have a, a call or actually a physical meeting sometimes 
to sit down with the young staffers from the senator's office, the congressman's office, and say, here's what's going on with China right now in Washington state. Because they, you know, they don't always know those figures, et cetera. So we just try and keep them informed so that they can hopefully influence their boss when, when there's a discussion about China. They can be um, educated. Now, since the pandemic came, we've been kind of thrown into some new uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. So in the very beginning, started to put out information. People wanted to know where they could donate PPE, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we did that locally, but then we actually got involved uh, on the China side, again, with my connections, particularly with AmCham in Shanghai, and started to help people identify reputable suppliers in China, tell them a little bit about the process of how you would import, et cetera. We didn't actually get involved with importing, but we help connect people and, and spread information. What we have done is, and we just planned to do this earlier this year, we've created a charitable organization. We're traditionally a membership organization where you pay your membership dues, that's how we're financed. But we now have started a, a new entity with a, technically in the US a 501c3. And um, you, we can accept donations in that. And it turns out with the imported PPE, the government, the US government has made it possible that Charitable organizations can import PPE duty-free. So we have now been acting on behalf of the city, and now we're going to act on behalf of the staff to actually import PPE that has been donated by people like the, like entities like the city of Hangzhou, Shenzhen, Tsinghua University Alumni Association. These organizations that are donating to Washington State or Seattle have asked us to actually be the go-between and import with duty-free. And we're glad to do that. It's a role we can play. Again, as we talk, it's about helping and improving relationships between the two countries. Also with this new charitable organization, we're helping out the, we're teaming up with the Chinese Chamber of Commerce here in Washington State. They started a really nice program called Food with Love, which creates, which actually has restaurants uh, making lunches or meals for first uh, frontline medical, police, testing people and actually delivering these free meals to the hospitals, police stations, other spots. And most of that has been donated, and it, it's good for the restaurants because it gives them business, but it turns out that, that most of the donations have come directly from the restaurants. So that's not really fair that they, uh, they make all these donations and don't get any reward for it. So we're helping CCWA to collect funds. We're pleased we got a nice donation just the other day that we can actually send to the restaurant, pay to the restaurants to buy meals from them to deliver to the, the frontline workers. So uh, we're getting a little bit more involved in the local community, with the Chinese community particularly, than we have in the past. Because we have a, I think we have a role to play actually locally as well as at the international stage. So I guess in, in short, if you're a business or government and you want to do something with China, come to us. If you want to get connected, particularly between the the wider community in China, Chinese community, Western, whatever, come to us because we've got those connections. We know a lot of people. We'd be glad to, to help our members and non-members alike to, uh, to improve their situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, so many things that WACCRC is doing today. Uh, I just say that working from home has been busy. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> that's uh, true. <laughs> well, we were, we, I thought I was going to read a few books and maybe watch a few new movies, but it has not been the case. We've been quite busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I see, especially you mentioned a couple of examples in the pandemic period, that WSCRC, this organization, is really get down to the earth doing those things, specific projects, very much involved with the local business to help the frontline people, right, fighting the, the virus. But in the meantime, uh, with the Food of Love campaign, that not just helping the frontline fighters help save the life and the fighting virus, it also helps the restaurants, the local restaurants, the local business to stay in business, to survive through this very difficult time. And with that, then, you know, when hopefully soon it gets over, those businesses can continue, go back to normal. So that's very meaningful, very, very helpful. Right. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a great, can keep their businesses going, keep people employed. Uh, One thing I forgot to mention is that we've been very active creating webinars. We've had we actually have three webinars this week. And one area where I think we're a little different than many organizations is we, we're bringing in a lot of um, people from China, talking to business leaders, even doctors. Uh, we have a program with doctors from, from China tomorrow night, talking about the lessons that they learned 
dealing with a shutdown and uh, medical issues during the pandemic. That, that's an area that we hadn't done before, and because of the pandemic, all of a sudden, this is a great way to, to educate people or let people hear about what's happening in other parts of the world. So that's been a lot of fun, uh, particularly connecting with my a lot of my old counterparts in China. I've invited them to come and speak about what's happening in their business, etc. Mm -hmm. So for that kind of conversation with China, thinking back about the local business in the Washington State, in the places where we are living, so what kind of advice you can give to these businesses? In the same time, because your WSCRC is in the middle with a very unique positioning as an NGO connecting China and U.S. So what are some advices that you can give to the partners in China? Well. Let me start for with companies here. The Phase One trade agreement, it's working. It's way behind schedule, but with the, with the pandemic, I don't think that's a big surprise. But you do see this last week that China's taken off the duties on specific American products, etc. So I'm of the belief that China is trying to fulfill that agreement. And if you know if that agreement is fulfilled, it, it's a bonanza. It's a really big opportunity for Washington State. China needs to really ramp up and buy both manufactured and agricultural products as well as energy. And Washington State is in a perfect position. I mean, to fulfill it, they're going to have to buy a lot of airplanes. Boeing needs to be able to have the right plane, but they, they want they need to buy a lot of airplanes, agricultural products, absolutely, and then other specialty products as well as software, etc. So there's a huge opportunity there. And you know, all I can say is the businesses, a, they should get ready. And B is we do have. I mean, you do have to put the message to Washington that please don't break this thing up. You know that. Hey, first of all, we had the trade war that's damaged business. Then we've had a, a patch or repair, which is the phase one trade agreement. So let's push this. Thing. Let's make sure we fulfill this phase one trade agreement. So that's you should look at the turn. You should look at basically what China is supposed to buy if you're in business and see where there's any products there that you could sell and then try and connect to China. On that side, I would also mention the opportunity for our local business to consider. Every year, China has this China International Import right. Expo, which is in November in Shanghai. Right. <laughs> yeah. Last year, we have some Washington State companies went there and I'm very heavily involved in that because I help organize the local businesses come together as a delegation. We provide a service to book the exhibition booth mm -hmm. and help, you know, provide a lot of services to help them get ready and go there together and exhibit. So last year, the companies went to China. They really had really, really good results from that show. And many of them have big orders and they came back really happy about that. And this year, of course, because of all this pandemic, first China, then here, people are still today. But today, they're still not very clear about how the future would look like. And people have concerns about, well, if this show would still happen, and uh, can we really get to China? Because now the flights are canceled, right? It's, right. Uh, yeah, the two countries, not just the flight, but also the political situation, <laughs> kind of in this cold, very, very cold relationship today. The news I want to share is, so far, this China International Import Expo is still scheduled to happen in November in Shanghai. So just go back to Nor your suggestion or your advice on the local business and looking at the trade agreement. We should also consider this opportunity because this is the place where a lot of Chinese buyers, it's all buyers, they come to the, the place in a couple of days, they are trying to fulfill the order. They are looking for right product, the right partners to buy. Right. I would support what you said there. I did go to CIIE last year. We helped the, actually the Secretary of Commerce for the state of Washington to go to that event. And uh, the state people that went uh, want us to take them back this year. So they found it worthwhile and they, they encourage people, as you said, to participate. I My background being... So my, with my background in agriculture, I was interested. There was one gentleman at the CIIE from Washington State who sells agricultural products, hay, peas, et cetera, et cetera. And his comment was, you know, maybe I'm not going to make a lot of new contracts at CIIE, but I get a chance, all my customers from all over China come to this event. So I get a chance to spend time with them. It's very efficient. I don't have to fly all over China to see them because they're coming into this event. So 
he said uh, it was quite worthwhile for him. And I think to back up what you've said, I think many other companies have found going to CIIG uh, a good experience. And this particular gentleman and his company is going again. They sign up for CIIE through us, and we are going as a delegation. If nothing <laughs> bad or worse happens, right? Well, Hopefully right. everything so, will just go become better and better. Yeah. So, okay. so that just reiterates your point. He's going back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Again, for advice for businesses, again, as I mentioned earlier, China is coming out of this pandemic faster than any other country. So the, the group I used to run at the... Uh, CEO forum in Shanghai. I'm still affiliated with them. And so their business has gone almost all to Zoom. They hold uh, meetings once a week now because uh, the situation is changing so fast. So occasionally I jump on those meetings and listen to what they're saying. And first one I was on like three weeks ago, I was shocked because they were saying that they had more orders than they could meet. Yeah. Uh, that, that customers were coming in and wanted to see their inventory because they wanted to make sure that during the crisis, they hadn't run down the inventory. So business, at least this was about two weeks ago, was really, people were surprised uh, how, how busy it was. They also were expecting some kind of you know, stimulus money to come from the government. And so the, everyone was, was doing much better than I expected. Much I don't understand why this doesn't connect with the logic here, right? Because everybody is shutting down, business is not really going anywhere. Why in China now they are busier? Well, I, as I said to the guys on the phone, I said, I think you're living on a different planet because yeah. you know, here, here we're all shut down. But I mean, they, they had a Pepsi snacks business, which is a huge business. Said their demand was up more than they could produce. Oh. Uh, manufacturers of heavy equipment for construction were saying that the Zoom Lions and the Sannies, the big construction equipment makers in China, were, I think they were hoping or maybe they knew something that the government was going to do some stimulus projects. So they were um, building a lot more construction equipment. So in many sectors, cars were still laggard. Cars were still not back the way they were. But many, many other sectors of the economy were doing really quite well. Now, the, the exports to the, obviously the rest of the world have dropped off. So mm. maybe it's going to slow down. But again, a couple of weeks ago, people were, as they say, going gang, gangbusters. So what you are saying is the China local demand goes up. Yes. So that's why those Chinese companies are so busy now. Yes. Even though yes. export is still dead. Yeah, uh-huh. Right, right. Okay. And, you know, it, it may not last because uh, the lack of exports may slow everything down. And they're still waiting. The government has not announced a big stimulus. It's doing some efforts in China, but not like in 2008, 2009, where they had a huge stimulus project. Okay, I guess an, uh, a couple other comments is our sweet spot, as I call it, the WCRC these days is not in Beijing with Xi Jinping and the Politburo. It's uh, the state council. Our sweet spot is at the, what we call the subnational level. So the leaders, the, the city government of Hangzhou, uh, as I said, Shenzhen, other, other cities, um, they are very anxious to do business with, with Seattle and Washington State, particularly in type industries, aerospace industries. They're very interested in doing business and they they want a good, strong U.S.-China relationship. They see opportunities for you know, companies to invest in their areas. They also see opportunities for exports back here. So what we get when we talk to some of our counterparts in China, it's so different from what you hear from Washington, D.C., this talk of decoupling the trade war. Many, many entities in China want to continue and grow the business. So we have very good relations, I would say, with, with many entities below the national level. And we'd be glad to connect companies and point out where it seems to be there are opportunities. So I think that's an area that um, needs to be continued to foster because because there are opportunities there. The other thing is you, you mentioned, and I mentioned, and you, you picked up on it, you know, we're doing more in the local environment. And quite frankly, many of our members join our organization for basically networking opportunities, the chance to meet other people and hopefully grow their business. And that doesn't necessarily always mean with China. It could be within the local So they might have a China interest, but they end up joining the council and finding that somebody from Seattle can create business somebody in Bellevue. So we try a little harder today when we can't have networking events face-to-face, but do pick up on what people do and uh, that we often mention that and connect people. We connect people. So if we know someone needs translation, we say, we, know, we have some members that do Chinese translation, we can help you work. Need a law firm that specializes in architectural services. We know two or three that have done stuff in China that you might want to talk to. So just basically putting members together and create, helping them to create opportunities is a big part of uh, what we do. 
Yeah, I'm benefited from this being a member of WSCRC. I had a couple of business happened because WSCRC helped me connect with the clients. The clients either they were looking for one of the client was looking for somebody help them understand how to do business in China, the business culture in China. So I developed a a course and a trend their company from everybody from top to to oh, the front right. desk yeah right. and some other companies uh, want to get some deeper things and getting some consulting service and uh, mm-hmm. we help them so this is really really just because WSCRC knows what we do and then they heard from the client that they are looking for this kind of a help then they right. make a connection just a right. very simple emails exchange mm-hmm. then things happen Right. I like to point out we're we're not in competition with you. We're not trying to be a consultant. We're not charging for our services. We're basically helping people connect and build their business. Yeah. Okay, I'm pretty well wrapped up. What I'd like to know that the next couple of years because of the nature of the direction of the US China relationship now are probably going to be very difficult. So it's going to be a little hard to navigate the waters of doing successful business in China and not getting caught up in the trade war, not getting caught up in the political issues. And uh, so I think it's very important for an organization like WCRC to be around to make sure that those channels of communication, the education, to get people to realize that the relationship is, should be a good relationship and that we need people to help foster it and keep, keep it safe and keep it going. And I think that's, there's a going to be a big role for us. We may suffer a little bit from membership because it may be harder to do business in China, but I think our mission and the role for what we do is enhanced in the Mm -hmm. And thanks for being the ones that really in the front, being the bridge for not just the U.S. and China, but also for the local businesses with the local government, helping us understand what is going on, providing the latest information and guidance for us to really prepare our business and think about if anybody's doing businesses with overseas, right? Think about how we can prepare and position ourselves as well as, you know, being the ones that connect local businesses so that we would be able to help each other. Thanks right. so much for that, right. for WSCRC. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we can be of help. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much. And it's been great having our audience here listening to our conversation about uh, this topic, maintaining business relationships with China during such kind of difficult times. I want to send a special thank you to our wonderful guest today, Mr. J. Noel Cochillard. He's the Executive Director of Washington State China Relations Council. You can find more about WSCRC at its website, wscrc.org. You're listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. I look forward to talking to you again next time. Thank you for tuning into In China with Michelle Zhao. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week.